0: Welcome back, Andrew. Hey, Mark. This is the Gospel Clarity Podcast, where we explore how the story of Jesus changes everything.
1: In order for the gospel to be central, it must be functional.
0: I'm your host, Mark. And I'm Andrew. Thanks for joining us. And what are we going to be talking about today, Andrew?
1: Today, we're going to be looking at why we open our Bibles when we gather together on Sundays.
0: All right, we are back and I'm excited that we're back here. Fall has officially arrived in Seattle. For those of you who live here, you know what I mean. You know what I'm talking about.
1: Does that just mean the rain starts falling? Well, it dropped
0: like 10 at least 10 degrees. Yeah. And the rain has felt continuous or maybe the gray clouds have felt a little bit more present.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the raindrops have been bigger.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that too. I think the other thing about fall is this time I've really noticed the um, that the, the sun is rising later and it's setting earlier. Yeah. And with the rain and the clouds, it just feels a little darker, you know? Mm-hmm. So you want to like wear more sweatshirts and, you know, you want to get a little more Drink cozy.
1: Drink more hot tea.
0: Drink more tea. Hot I want to read more. You know, it's like the time where, you know, everything's settling in. It's getting a little colder. So, Yeah.
1: Well, fall is the most nostalgic of the of all the seasons, Mark I didn't know that, oh, yeah, that's what they say.
0: Is that from just
1: the holidays? I think it's the pumpkins.
0: Oh okay, I got it. And the food um so Andrew, you had a uh, a bit of a a life change that happened on um Saturday night and on Sunday. <laughs> as you revealed to everyone for the first time. I did. I did. In I, 7 6 years, I 6 de- years,
1: I did. I decided to shave my beard off. Yes.
0: It was awesome. It was a uh, talk about nostalgia. I came in, I saw you and I said, that's the Andrew that I I once knew. <laughs>
1: Back in 2011. <laughs> it's been a while since my face has been had seen the light of day.
0: Yeah. Now, how did like splashing water on it feel? Did it feel kind of good?
1: The uh, water felt good. Uh, breeze, wind oh, feels good. Oh yeah, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, not having to do the maintenance mm-hmm. before I leave the house because it can be
0: a lot of maintenance. A
1: beard, it. a beard is a beard can be high maintenance. You've got to sculpt it when you have a big one. Mm-hmm. And I had a fairly big one. Yeah. And yeah, so I just needed a break from the maintenance. So. Shaved it down, and we'll let it grow back.
0: And here you are. Yep. Yep. Very cool. So if you see Andrew and you have not seen him yet, you'll notice the difference, and it's pretty cool. Um, Andrew, we are talking about opening, why do we open up our Bibles on Sundays? Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? I mean, that seems like a kind of a weird question to ask, but Mm -hmm. I think it's a pretty important one.
1: Yeah, and that's the type of question we don't want to take for granted uh, because we uh, not every disciple uh, r- understands kind of the significance behind why we do what we do when we gather together for the purposes of worship in the church. And so it's important for us to kind of look at the different pieces and the different elements of our gatherings to uh, begin to provide some some perspective on why we do the things that we do, some of the ordinary activities of church life, of worship life, of mission life, of all those things, which is what we hope to explore over the next several episodes.
0: Mm -hmm. I I think it's so important, and it goes back to, yeah, what we want to set up with this gazing and going theme, Um, because there's so many. I mean, if you have gone to church your entire life, these things you haven't questioned before, but maybe if you've come into the church a little later in life, you've maybe asked, you know, why, why are they why is this guy standing up here preaching? <laughs> you know, why are we singing songs together? You know, that can feel very, um, very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what we want to do for each person. We want to say, maybe you've never challenged these ideas right. or these, these things before. Never questioned them. We want to provide some substance in an answer to it.
1: Yeah, I like the word different. Uh, it does feel different and it should feel different. Like yeah. when the church gathers to worship, or gathers to gaze, we do things that we are not doing on Tuesday at home with our friends and family. Uh, we don't do with our roommates on Thursday, and that type of thing. It is a very unique experience when Christians gather together with the expressed intention of worshiping Jesus at the same time, in the same space, focusing in the same direction. And so it does feel different, and it should feel different, as we recognize that Um, kind of the ordinary rhythm of the Christian life is this move from gazing to going, worshiping to witnessing, from uh, liturgy to labor, from adoration to obedience. And so um, focusing in on that gazing side of the spectrum is what we're going to do first and what we're going to do for the first little stretch of episodes. Uh, But hopefully what this conversation will do, it will um, encourage your steady and eager participation together with either the Hallows Church, if you're part of our church, or whatever church you are a part of that you would gather uh, eagerly and enthusiastically with them on a weekly basis.
0: Okay, so Andrew, so let me ask the question then. So when we gather as a church to gaze, why are we opening up our Bibles?
1: That's one of the, that's one of the things that we're doing every time we gather together. We uh, open up Bibles. That's what Christians have done for 2,000 years. They mm-hmm. have <laughs> gathered together and there's always been the opening of the Bible. It even preceded the birth of the church in Jewish life, uh, as synagogues would host weekly and regular um, times of Bible study, where a teacher would come in, and they would open up portions of the Old Testament. Somebody would comment on it or read the text and then explain the passage, and then they would seek to apply that passage to the lives of all the listeners. So the, the practice of opening our Bibles each time we gather together for worship is uh, as, as a long-standing practice in the, in, our li- in the history of God's activity in the world.
0: Mm, I like how you said that. I like how you said God's activity in the world, because it really takes us, takes us back. Awesome. And within that, when we're opening up our Bibles, we're looking at the Scriptures, we're reading uh, the Scriptures together. Um, let's talk about preaching. Mm-hmm. Preaching is one of those elements that's happening while people are opening up their Bibles, right?
1: Right. Yeah, That's so when we open up our Bibles, it is with the intention, usually, that corresponds with what's called a sermon or a message or a talk, depending on how hip or cool or relevant your church wants to present a talk itself <laughs> as being. But ultimately We're gonna what have you're a doing... Chat. Is you're, you're preaching.
0: <laughs> Actually, if someone said, we're going to have a little chat, that would be more threatening to me <laughs> than, than uh, uh, I'm well, going to...
1: We are opening Pre- up our Bibles to present something to uh, the life of the church that would be impressionable and impactful, that would be um, inspiring, not in a um, not in a <laughs> cat hanging on a clothesline with the caption hang in there type picture on a wall. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about real inspiration, that which would draw worship out of the life of the believer, Yeah, which is what uh, ultimately preaching should serve to do. And the reason preaching should serve that purpose is because when we open up our Bibles, we're handling um, God's revelation of himself. Uh, fundamentally, that's what Christians believe about the Bible. The Bible constitutes God's revelation It is God opening himself up to us every time we open up our Bibles to read the Scriptures, to study the Scriptures, to talk about the Scriptures. And it is that revelation that leads to, um, that should lead to the worship of God's people, Mm -hmm. that we respond to revelation with worship. And so with that stated, every sermon or every preaching moment or event or experience should drive towards Mm -hmm. That goal, uh, the goal of seeing people worshiping in response to the beauty of God, the beauty of Christ in the scriptures.
0: So to summarize then, Andrew, you would, we would say that when we open up our Bibles together as a church, we're doing three things. We, we're, there's preaching, listening, and responding.
1: Yep. yep. I think that's what happens when we open our Bibles together, those, yeah. those three things.
0: And so for this next, uh, for the remainder of the episode, we want to focus and zoom in all of our attention on the act of preaching itself.
1: Well, preaching has taken place in the worship of God's people for thousands of years. Uh, It has been a, a keynote portion of Christian worship gatherings for 2,000 years prior to that. It was regularly practiced in synagogues and in uh, t- the temple when uh, God's people and the work he was doing in the people of Israel, uh, when that was happening, preaching was taking place. Somebody was opening up the Bible, reading the scriptures, explaining the scriptures, and applying the scriptures. One of my favorite examples of this is found in Nehemiah chapter 8, where God's people has have returned from exile, and they are rebuilding the walls of the temple in Jerusalem, and they are reconstituting themselves. I'm sorry, they're rebuilding the walls for the city of Jerusalem, and they're reconstituting themselves as God's people in the promised land. And they're aware of the sins of previous generations that led to the exile in the first place, and they don't want to commit those again. And so they know that for them, they need to recommit themselves to God's word. And so there's this moment where Ezra in Nehemiah chapter eight he would enter in he would enter into what's come to be known as a pulpit, a lofted uh, kind of stand where God's word would would visibly be elevated above God's people, and then Ezra would enter that space and he would open the Bible and he would read the scriptures. And a remarkable thing happens in that chapter where as he's reading the Bible, just reading the words of God's written revelation people are starting to weep, they're starting to mourn, they're starting to repent, they are recognizing what all they lost as a result of sin, and, and they are recognizing uh, how wonderful the promises of God are, and all of that is having a deep impact on God's people. And so, um, and all in response to just the reading of the Scriptures, I mean, could you imagine that happening in a Sunday gathering, if somebody opens the Bible and just reads it, and just in the reading of the Scriptures lives are changed. Um, That's what was going down in Nehemiah 8.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, it wasn't the only thing that happened in that passage, because there was a moment where, after reading the Bible, Ezra then equipped other leaders and other voices in Israel to walk amongst the people and to huddle them up into smaller groups and explain what was read in more detail and go into more depth in studying God's Word, and um, which is why we say that preaching isn't just reading the Bible. Preaching is reading and explaining the Bible, and but then it's moving from explanation to application or uh, calling people to respond to what it is God has spoken. And that's really where we get into the gazing component of a Christian's worship gathering.
0: Yeah, um, and that just ties in so well. This kind of threefold element preaching listening and responding even in ezra's time when he's he's preaching they're listening and then they respond another thing to point out too is that 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 weeping and that repentance came right after um rejoicing Mm -hmm. and they were uh, i mean they had just they were having this huge celebration because they had finished building the walls and they had their city back and they were going to be Um, God's people, again, you know, there was no more uh, judgment in that way, but it led to once they reflected on that, it led to this repentance. Mm -hmm. And I think you see that play out in other other parts of scripture as well.
1: Yeah. Repenting and rejoicing are often woven together, which is why we encourage repentance because it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Repentance is sometimes talked about as being kind of a heavy-handed um, thing that we want to avoid because it's it suggests bad things about us, but it's actually a really good thing because it affirms what's true about us. We need to repent, but it also recognizes how good God is. Therefore, as we repent, rejoicing can take place, or rejoicing and repentance can often happen in this at the same time and in the same space. Mm-hmm. I think that's why in Luke 15, uh, when Jesus gives the parable of the prodigal sons and the parable of the, of the lost coin and of the lost. Uh, sheep uh, there's a refrain in there that um, angels are rejoicing every time a single sinner repents, and so rejoicing and repenting going repentance going hand in hand and this is why when preaching happens, we can deal with hard things and we can be honest about the human condition as it's exposed in and through the scriptures because all that does is it calls our attention to what God has accomplished for us to remedy what's wrong with us, to change us, to save us, to rescue us, to redeem us. And so, yes, there's times when the Bible, as a result of preaching, cuts us deeply, and we want to repent. But it doesn't just cut us to leave us to bleed, um, because the, the same word that cuts us also holds out Christ to us, mm-hmm. and that's where uh, rejoicing takes place. Yeah,
0: and you can't have that without hearing and without the preaching of God's word in mm-hmm. the church.
1: Right, and that's right. what preaching should aim to do. Yep, absolutely. Uh, we want to we want to handle God's word with honesty. We want to handle God's word in its entirety, and we want to handle God's word in a way that um, deals with what's real about the human condition, and it deals with what's right about God's provision in Christ.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think, in at that end, in God's provision in Christ, I think that's what leads us to uh, what a sermon should. Um, how it should be uh, uh, crafted and what it should be focusing on, which is the gospel,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, so. And this is kind of uh, tell us a bit about gospel centered preaching.
1: Mm-hmm. So gospel centered preaching is um, basically it recognizes that the Bible, the the overall message of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is a message of redemption. It's a message of. Re- of hope it's good news the message of the bible when everything is taken into consideration is incredibly good news the word gospel means good news now what constitutes that good news is the person and the work of jesus christ it's what um god did for us in christ through his life and his death and his resurrection through his ascension and through his imminent return or his inevitable return and um So when we talk about gospel-centered preaching, we're talking about preaching that's able to open up the Bible and handle a passage with, with what's called hermeneutical integrity. That is, you're dealing with a passage in its context, in its literary, historical, canonical context, but you're also dealing with it in its biblical, theological context so that when you unpack the meaning of a passage... You haven't unpacked the meaning of that passage until you've discovered and uh, presented how that passage bears witness to some aspect of the person and the work of Christ. If you don't move there, uh, I would say you haven't really preached.
0: Hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Why is that?
1: Yeah, well, Jesus would say in Luke 24 that everything written in the law and the prophets and the Psalms was written about, to, about him. He would say the same thing to the Pharisees. I believe in John 6 or John 4 where he's having a conversation with them and they are, uh, and he says, you are searching the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, but I am telling you that those scriptures bear witness to me. And he's, said, he's saying, look, if you're reading the Bible and if you're preaching the Bible and your reading and preaching doesn't lead to me you're, you're missing it. You're not getting the life that's intended to be found in the Scriptures. Um, and so when we preach and when we teach the Bible, we need to preach and teach in a way that leads to the telos or the goal of Scripture, which is um, Christ, uh, which is Christ himself, who would, who would make those statements. And so it is a conviction that says all of the Bible bears witness to Jesus, but the hard work of preaching is trying to show how that is the case without rupturing uh, what, Authors originally intended uh, in the immediate context of a passage, and and so doing the hard work of 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 examining the Bible or examining a passage in its immediate context, uh, looking at literary factors, historical factors, cultural factors, but also recognizing that every passage has a biblical theological context; that it is a part. Every passage is just a small piece of a much bigger story, and the goal of preaching then is to discover the meaning of a passage in its immediate context, but then elevate that meaning, that message to the biblical theological kind of drive of scripture and trace that in and through some aspect of the person and work of Christ, that, that every passage can, can and does do that in a discernible way uh, if we're willing to um, utilize all the resources at our disposal when it comes to interpreting the scriptures.